Hello everyone and welcome to The Lisa Burke Show where today my guest is Eureka Bakis, Minister of Finance for Luxembourg. Eureka Kabakis was born in Kobe, Japan and went on to study at the London School of Economics, LSE, followed by a Master's in Japanese Studies at the School of Oriental and African Studies, otherwise known as SOAS in London. And there followed another Master's in European Political and Administrative Studies from the College of Europe in Bruges. Now, professionally, the list is very long. Madame Bakis began her career at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, where roles included permanent representation of Luxembourg to the United Nations in New York, permanent representation of Luxembourg to the European Union in Brussels from 2001 to 2006, deputy head of mission at the Luxembourg Embassy in Japan from 2006 to 2008, and as deputy head of the Directorate for International Economic Relations at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Luxembourg from 2008 to 2010. 2010 to 2016, Yuri Kibakis was the diplomatic advisor and aide to Luxembourg Prime Ministers Jean-Claude Juncker and Xavier Bettel. And 2016 to 20, she was the representative of the European Commission in Luxembourg Luxembourg. From June 2020 until her appointment to the government, she served as Marshal of the Grand Ducal Court. And now, of course, we know her as Minister Eureka Bakis, Minister of Finance. It's a great pleasure to have you on my show. Good morning, Lisa. Thank you for inviting me. What an incredible CV you have there. What an extraordinary life you've led. And I just want to go back to your days in Japan. In fact, you've grown up in Japan, between Japan and Europe, and then went on to study further in Europe. So tell us about those cultural differences, first of all, what you love from both cultures. I grew up in Japan, indeed, lived there for for many years, but always in a very international environment. And I really love that. Um, Living in Japan, of course, taking in the Japanese culture, very aesthetic uh, uh, culture, uh, very consensual culture. And these are, I think, things that I have also then grown up with and try to, you know, live also in, in uh, in other areas. But like I said, always in a very international environment. And I think for me, at least, this was then also a natural move in the career uh, that I was uh, seeking in an international context. You know, growing up with kids from all parts of the world. Um, And for me, really respecting different cultures, being able uh, to communicate also in different languages. It's it's so important, this openness to the world and uh, respect towards other people, other cultures, other religions, other ways of thinking. It's uh, very, very important uh, for me. And do you feel that you have another way of thinking with that Japanese mind, language and culture embedded within you and you bring that to European life? Do you feel you think differently from your political comrades? No, I I think that's very difficult for me to judge myself. Do I think uh, differently? I think um, for myself, I can say I am very open-minded. I, I love um, the differences. And I think uh, overcoming differences is always something um, relating back to communication. So I think communication is really uh, uh, very important in everything that we do, but really just the respect for for differences. And when you communicate um, in your own language or in another language, it uh, it makes you understand other people better. It makes you understand other people's concerns better. And I think uh, that's uh, that's also important, of course, in in my uh, diplomatic uh, career, where uh, finding compromises, finding solutions between different uh, positions. Uh, um, 
is of course uh, uh, really part of part of the job. So you then went on to study and settle in Europe. Now, for anybody who might want to follow your path, what degrees, because you've got a number of them, have been most useful for this diplomatic life that you have led? Well, I think I studied international relations. I studied uh, also uh, Japanese uh, uh, studies. That was more and more history, culture, uh, also sociology. Uh, I went on to study European uh, studies at the College uh, of Europe in Bruges. And I think in different ways, all of these uh, subject matters uh, contributed to uh, my being able to be (laughs) a diplomat. But of course, it's always the hands-on experience later uh, that uh, that is the most uh, important uh, to have a diplomatic career I think you can have many different backgrounds as far as studies are concerned uh, you can study economics uh, you could study psychology even um, uh, in different ways this can be useful uh, in any career including the diplomatic career so but, I but think it comes hands-on experience is really what what is uh, important of course based on um, you know the studies that uh, that you do do and the power to communicate with all sorts of different people exactly. now you did mention European studies there and you've had a wonderful array of roles within the UN and various uh, European institutions what's the best job you've ever had and why Lisa that's a great question it's a very difficult question I think I can say I'm uh, I'm very lucky in the sense that I've enjoyed really every job uh, that I've done. They were very different jobs. Um, I have, again, really enjoyed and never counted the hours uh, of work uh, that I put into uh, the different uh, different jobs. I can't say there's one that uh, that really uh, stood out because in a way one led to another. It was a bit of a build up. Uh, of course, when uh, Prime Minister Juncker at the time asked me to become his uh, diplomatic advisor and Sherpa, that was, of course, a very special uh, move also in in my uh, career. I enjoyed uh, the job as a diplomatic advisor, both to Prime Minister Juncker and uh, later to uh, Prime Minister Xavier Bettel. So, you know, w- one thing has always led to another. Uh, was there one job that really stands out? Uh, of course, today as finance minister, it's the most challenging of them all. Well, we will get on to that job, but just going back to uh, your role as a strategic advisor and Sherpa to Prime Ministers Jean-Claude Juncker and Xavier Bettel, that's not easy. How do you talk to them? How do you advise them so that people in that position will listen to you? You do spend quite a lot of time together, I would say, especially when you're traveling. And as as prime ministers, they uh, they travel uh, a lot, a lot of meetings in Brussels, a lot of meetings in other parts of the world. So you're traveling a lot together. So this really gives you the uh, the time to discuss uh, discuss different issues, to discuss uh, dossiers that you are also preparing because there's always so much to read. Um, questions that they will ask you need to when you're also uh, spending so much time uh, with them need to keep them up to speed with uh, with what's going on in the world because they cannot uh, constantly be following following uh, press or, or other information that will be useful for them uh, for meetings. So it's constant constant exchange. Um, and uh, of course, uh, uh, one needs to consider very carefully uh, what kind of information is going to be the most useful for them for uh, a given uh, meeting, for a given uh, negotiation. So this is a lot of preparation and then a lot of discussions with them. And a lot of sieving that information to boil it down to the most important facts. Given the amount of time that you've spent with people in that position of leadership, do you feel that their personalities solidify or change with the power that comes with that position? 
That's also a very interesting question. Well, I spent uh, three and a half years uh, with uh, Jean-Claude Juncker as uh, prime minister. I spent uh, the first uh, two and a half uh, years, <coughs> excuse me, with uh, prime minister Xavier Bettel uh, when he was a uh, prime minister. Of course, uh, Jean-Claude Juncker had a lot of experience. So I was uh, advising him towards uh, uh, the end of, of his uh, tenure, <coughs> excuse me, while uh, I was uh, assisting and advising uh, prime minister Bettel at the beginning. Uh, of his uh, premiership. So very different, yes, personalities. They grow into uh, their jobs. They grow with, uh, with experience. Uh, I think that's, that's normal. Um, and uh, it's been a, a pleasure and honor to uh, accompany uh, them in these roles. And you've also, I mean, we mentioned the word communication earlier and having that open communication. And your whole career has spanned the lifetime where we have seen social media impact politics so much, do you think for the better or for the worse? I think both. I think uh, uh, social media has very positive things because as uh, as a source of information, uh, it is, uh, it's very uh, valuable. It also gives you the opportunity to communicate, to pass uh, messages. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I would say uh, some negative aspects is that communication is very short. So you cannot do justice to so many things that either you want to learn about or uh, that you want to communicate. If you're just reading headlines, you don't have the time. Uh, life just, you know, if we're living at such a speed that you don't always have the time to get into all the nitty gritty. But most problems are very complex. Um, and there's no simple yes, no. There's so many gray zones. And to be able to understand that, you need to have the time. Um, and I feel sometimes the social media doesn't provide uh, that. On the other hand, I, I I use it a lot because I think it's, a, it's an important means of communicating also what I'm doing, what is important uh, for me. So um, there's a the negative and the positive, but I'm a positive person, so I'd like to, uh, I'd like to focus uh, on uh, on the positive. It also gives angles uh, of attack, of course. So people have a lot less distance as before social media to decision makers. Uh, they're just one uh, tweet, uh, message, uh, text message uh, away from um, you know giving constructive uh, criticism or or just really slandering you um, before social media. Uh, this didn't exist. You had no such uh, connection to, to decision makers. Um, you could write a letter that uh, perhaps would arrive or would not arrive a month later. So it's a very different world uh, we're living in. But I hope we can all uh, really make the most of social media in a very constructive way. Yeah, it doesn't give people that space, literally space in time to sit back and reflect and digest and people are never off work. Now, just thinking about the work that you have done within large institutions such as the United Nations and the European Commission, sometimes as outsiders not working in there, we can feel that these institutions get weighed down with internal politics and bureaucracy that has been written about rather than focusing on the issues of the moment. So do you feel they're a little bit slow to act? Uh, one can always criticize things. Um, and uh, it's uh, it's also uh, our, our job, perhaps uh, yours as, as a journalist, also, also mine as a politician, uh, to criticize that uh, constructively. But I think both uh, the EU, uh, you mentioned the European Commission and the UN, have a fundamental role to play. And it's also difficult to compare them. For Luxembourg, for example, the European Union is, of course, uh, fundamental. Uh, the European Commission is the institution that uh, makes 
makes proposals that later also makes sure they are implemented uh, correctly. So for us, this is extremely important. And and the EU, we're seeing in times of crisis, for example, uh, with Ukraine, how swiftly the EU has reacted. So yes, we can criticize that things are being done slowly, that there's a lot of uh, bureaucracy. But honestly, um, it's, uh, it is, we are living in a democracy and uh, it's in dictatorships uh, where decisions are taken uh, very quickly and where there is no bureaucracy. Do we want to live in this kind of world? I don't think so. So I think it's better to have things being uh, done perhaps a bit more slowly. Yes, there will always be a democracy, a bureaucracy, sorry, uh, that uh, that will uh, be present, but but also for, for good reasons. Um, but we need to get things done. And the EU, uh, in that sense, is a very important actor. The UN is a very different, different actor because it's a global actor, but also here. And these are discussions I have a lot with people because they do say, what's the UN good for? Look uh, at the U Ukraine, uh, war in Ukraine. What has the UN uh, done? They can't solve a single problem in the world. Um, you can say this, but again, for me, it's an indispensable uh, international organization where the international community uh, gets uh, together, where coming back to also to communication, where the international community discusses. And uh, um, in so many different fields from climate change to, you know, biodiversity to uh, really uh, helping, helping uh, the developing uh, countries uh, of the world. Also, they are so impacted uh, by the war uh, in Ukraine, by a global food crisis. This is where uh, things come together at the UN. This is where international problems are discussed. It's indispensable that we have these organizations, despite uh, the criticism that fairly or uh, unfairly uh, can be uh, targeted against them. I think uh, everybody would believe in the democracy and the communication within an institution like the EU. But it's perhaps, for instance, every single country has to vote for something to be passed sometimes, rather than a certain percentage for uh, a bill or a law to yes. be passed. And perhaps some people think that perhaps if you got a 80% or 75% positive vote, that would be sufficient rather than every single country having to say yes. Well, it's a matter of ownership uh, as well. I think we have different rules uh, in the EU for uh, for various uh, fields of uh, of politics. Uh, if we're taking a foreign policy, uh, for example, yes, we also do need uh, unanimity. Uh, this is one area where one, I think, uh, from my point of view, uh, could consider a different kind of uh, qualified majority and able to have more impact as an EU also in the world and uh, um, and and uh, uh, take the necessary decisions and action uh, more quickly in, in other fields. Um, uh, perhaps uh, to mention then uh, taxation, I think uh, unanimity uh, remains important. We are talking uh, about very substantial fields that are uh, of, of national competence uh, as well. So um, I, I, I think the ownership that we do need in order to progress in the EU to make decisions um, that do have an impact on uh, so many millions of people in the EU. It's better to stick together rather than uh, really force things onto uh, onto countries and and their populations. So again, um, we need to uh, work together 
changing uh, rules uh, of, of voting is also something uh, that should be discussed. And I think also the Luxembourg government is uh, very open to these kinds of discussions that, again, though, will take unanimity to change anything. <laughs> <laughs> and therein lies uh, one, of the, one of the question marks. Now, you mentioned taxation and it's been an incredibly difficult time in our world. You also mentioned Ukraine, of course, and we haven't mentioned COVID, but of course, we all know that all of these things have resulted in a very difficult financial situation. We opened up this interview to questions from the audience and the main questions, comments coming from the audience are based around indexation and income tax reform. So I've tried to include the various questions in what follows. So starting with indexation, we are set to have two, perhaps three wage indexations this year and companies, small, medium, large, they find that hard to budget up to 10% sometimes because of course it's compounded for just salaries and they're having to rejig what their plans were for certain projects or stop projects because of just paying for salaries. And of course, uh, wage indexation applies fundamentally to all private sector companies here in Luxembourg, just Luxembourg. It's the only country, I think, where wage indexation applies to every single sector. So do you think that is actually sustainable? That's a very good uh, question, uh, Lisa. Luxembourg is not the only country uh, in the world with uh, indexation. There is one one or other uh, country, a bit of a different system, where but where indexation still uh, does, uh, does uh, automatic indexation of wages still uh, does. Which exist. country is that? Uh, Belgium has a system, I think it's Malta or Cyprus as, as well, um, but we're not the only one. But yes, uh, this is a particularity uh, for uh, Luxembourg. Um, I would like to say that it's part of the Luxembourg DNA. Um, on the positive side, I really want to say that this has contributed uh, to social peace in Luxembourg, that this has contributed to stability in Luxembourg. And all of this has also profited not only the people who then, uh, you know, are the takers of, of indexation uh, of, their, of their wages, but also the companies um, who uh, I think prefer to operate in an environment uh, that is uh, stable and where we do have social peace. <clears throat> Um, I can understand the problem for companies, and that's why uh, it was so important with this uh, with this crisis that we discuss within a tripartite system that we have for crisis management uh, in Luxembourg. Um, how to deal uh, with uh, with the crisis? For me, it's. Uh, evident that companies, they will uh, foresee in their budgets perhaps one index uh, a year. They will definitely not have foreseen at the start of last year. We were coming out of the pandemic, uh, as you said. We still don't know today, are we really out of the pandemic? But uh, 24th of February, uh, Russia attacked Ukraine. We are in a war situation. Inflation is is uh, inc had already increased uh, coming out of the pandemic. But of course, with the rise in energy prices really uh, went up very fast uh, uh, and in a very sustained uh, way. So uh, for companies, this is very difficult because they did not then foresee uh, perhaps two or three uh, indexes. So within uh, the tripartite negotiations that we had, um, and in order to give uh, provisibility, do you say that in English? Um, uh, Provisions? Provi no, to... to uh, uh, predictability, perhaps, is the right word, to more predictability in a very 
very uncertain uh, environment, we uh, we um, decided to uh, postpone one uh, one uh, wage indexation from last year uh, to uh, this year, which will fall on in April. Um, I think this was a very important move for the company so that they could organize themselves uh, better. Um, we have also decided within uh, the tripartite uh, negotiations that if there is a third index uh, this year, uh, that we would uh, compensate uh, this for the company. So I think uh, what the government uh, has done uh, throughout this entire crisis is make sure that on the one hand, we are really supporting uh, the most vulnerable in our society. And on the other hand, also support companies who exactly, like you said, uh, don't find it uh, so easy to deal uh, with these multiple uh, in indexes because they were not foreseen. In the meantime, of course, they have had some uh, some chance to organize it. But I would also like to say, just because Luxembourg is one of the very few countries that uh, does have automatic, index automatic indexation of wages, doesn't mean that wages in other countries are not uh, are not increasing because they are despite the fact that they don't have uh, automatic indexation of wages. So you see, there's there's the pros and cons. But uh, of course, uh, for me, it's extremely important that uh, we also remain competitive, that our companies remain competitive. That's why an important part of what we've done uh, in uh, the tripartite is really to make sure that we can assist and uh, support companies as much as possible to get through uh, this very, very difficult time. Yes, of course, with wage indexation, it's not just salaries. It also means the costs of services and supplies go up. And one part of society that might fall through the cracks here a little bit are freelancers. So it's it's simply not a cost of just wages for the companies. The costs of everything goes up in a situation, an environment where the cost of living is already rising because of inflationary situation. So how do you think about that as the Minister of Finance? Because you're sitting on a sponge that's just enlarging all the time when it comes to costs. Uh, well, enlarging all the time Perhaps, but now we look at uh, the inflation uh, statistics already for uh, the last year. In the meantime, they uh, are going down across Europe. Uh, from across Europe, I'm talking yeah. about uh, the the eurozone, um, where uh, we were at uh, 10%. Now we're uh, we're down to well, we were above 10%. We're going down to to 9% for Luxembourg. It's also gone back below 6% for for last year. So we are seeing a slowdown uh, now. I think uh, this is <laughs> this is a good thing. And it also shows, uh, as far as Luxembourg is concerned, uh, that the investment that we did with the Solidarity 2 package um, is having uh, results. Uh, the results that uh, uh, we expect is that we, uh, we will be able to um, bring down inflation as much as possible. Of course, Luxembourg is a small and open economy. Lots of uh, the inflation is really important, but the impact that we can have is what we hope will be uh, the result of uh, the measures we decided in the Solidarity 2 package, for example, also with, uh, with the uh, um, TVA. 
how do you say that in English? VAT, VAT, <laughs> VAT uh, being put down uh, by by one uh, percent for the for the different uh, records. So uh, we hope that these measures uh, that we do uh, heavily invested in um, will have an impact and bring uh, bring down inflation. And uh, from the statistics that uh, Static is uh, has offered uh, recently, we are seeing that this is uh, having an impact. So there's some positive news in in all the uh, perma uh, crisis <laughs> mode that uh, that we are in let's let's also look a little bit uh, at the positive that's true and uh, when we are also looking at what uh, what the european central bank uh, is is telling us uh, in terms of um, uh, preview how will in how will this inflation uh, e evolve over the next couple of months we are hopeful that will it will come further down as we are witnessing right now energy prices are uh, are decreasing which is wonderful news in what yes. has been a few years of very difficult news um when it comes i'm going to sit on the point for a little bit more because when it comes to the cost of living here in luxembourg we know it's high and and now companies have to pay good salaries in order to afford the cost of living here that means for certain companies who want to attract talent into the country it makes it even more difficult perhaps because the cost of living here is higher than it would be in another country and now we've also opened up our ideas to home working so how do you think about that in your position where you want to bring talent into the country and it, it's linked to wage indexation it's linked to wages salaries just talent acquisition Uh, it's a very important uh, topic. You are underlining it. It's a very important topic uh, for me that I spent lots of time uh, thinking uh, thinking about. Of course, talent attraction and talent uh, retention, it's not only a problem uh, for Luxembourg. Other countries are also confronted with uh, with the situation. So, of course, we want to continue uh, to attract the best, the most, uh, the most talented. Um, there are also new jobs on the market. So we need to uh, also attract new kinds uh, of skills and we need to also continue to try to provide uh, also um, the necessary education in Luxembourg for these new kinds of skills. Um, but uh, I think talking about talent attraction, talent att retention, this is of course very, very global. There's so many things that uh, that uh, are uh, involved with uh, here um, on this on this topic. We have uh, uh, the housing housing issue um, where we need to try and the government has put legislation forward really to try to drive uh, the offer on the market uh, rather than uh, to satisfy the demand. So these are projects uh, that the government has uh, has put forward. But of course, these are not problems that are going to be solved uh, uh, very quickly. This will take a longer time. Um, when you're Uh, trying to attract uh, talent uh, to Luxembourg. You also need to offer international schools, for example. Um, and there the government has done really a lot to provide also their international schools with uh, with free uh, education and not not only international schools that, uh, that uh, uh, as you have in other countries uh, where you have to uh, pay for the uh, for the courses. So uh, not everything can be solved via not all problems in the world, let me say it uh, put it that way, can be solved via uh, taxation, but uh, within uh, the budget uh, that was adopted for uh, this current year, I did um, uh, want to take two measures that will help with uh, with talent attraction. And I hope that these two measures, which are then tax measures and which should help uh, companies also attract and retain a talent in Luxembourg, I hope that the, this will uh, be helpful uh, for them. So I think we're doing uh, what we can in the current um, uh, 
circumstances, which also from a budgetary perspective are not so easy. Easy. There's many more things uh, I would like uh, I would like to do, and uh, that I will do if I have uh, the necessary budgetary space to do it. If budget was no problem, what would the first thing you do? Oh, there's so many things. There's a there's a long, uh, long list. I, uh, what I would really like to do is also to be able to provide uh, the opportunity to people, um, uh, old or young, to uh, invest in startups, for example, um, startups in uh, in uh, uh, green green finance, for example, uh, in uh, the green uh, um, uh, or or even the digital uh, transformation, and where. Uh, uh, the investments that individuals make into these uh, startups uh, could be deduce, deducted from uh, from their taxes. These are things that I would be. Um, I think it's an inclusive way, in a way, to to also go forward in a society by by supporting young, fresh ideas and by having um, actors in society, young old people, um, benefit from investing uh, in their own economy, in uh, young, fresh, perhaps out of the box uh, ideas. That's uh, one measure uh, I would uh, I would like to uh, I would like to propose. Well, let's hope that can happen. Moving to another really important topic for our readers, our listeners, it's the idea of taxation bans. And from what I've been reading, there seems to be issues on all sides: the married, single, divorced people. And um, thinking firstly about married couples, they've written in about the back taxes and this system, where, for those who don't under- know about it or understand it as I understand it, apparently married couples have low upfront taxation and then get a larger bill on the declaration of their taxes. And for some people who might not be so used to organizing their finances, they might find it hard to save up for those tax, well, that back tax situation at the end of the year when they declare their taxes. So talk us through, first of all, the the back tax situation for married couples? Well, I think this is uh, part, of course, this is a taxation system that I inherited. Um, this has been uh, the way the system has worked for for a long time. The problem uh, that uh, you underline here has, uh, has also been brought uh, to my attention, so I'm very well uh, aware of it. Um, in order to be able to solve it, I think it needs to be part of a larger uh, reform of the of the taxation system. Um, this is something that uh, is very important, I think, for our country, for our society, and it's something that, uh, of course, now this year um, we are in a crisis uh, crisis mode. So I've been focusing uh, mainly on <laughs> crisis management, um, but also before I joined uh, government, uh, the government composed of three parties had decided that this kind of reform was not going to be able uh, to happen under this uh, legislature. Um, this was a a joint decision uh, that was uh, taken before I joined uh, the government because of the situation uh, that we are in uh, from the pandemic uh, to uh, to a new crisis. Because any kind of reform or general reform of the taxation system takes time, and this is what you uh, pointed out here, is one, one element, but there are many uh, other elements where um, the tax system we have in Luxembourg needs to be put up to date, uh, needs to um, really uh, take into account the way society has evolved and society 
today is very different from society uh, like it was uh, a number of years ago when the system was uh, put in place. In the meantime, there have been adjustments with tax credits um, to solve the one or the other uh, problem. We are continuing to do this, but for myself, and this is also what I see for the future, we do need an overhaul uh, of the system. Um, and uh, I would very much like uh, to work on this, but this is something that really does take time. It also takes a consensus in society, because if we do a tax reform, it's impossible that everybody will be able to win from it. There will be winners and losers. Um, so we need to find the right balance. Uh, this will be, um, we need to work on a system where there will be a transition phase towards a new system that uh, will do justice to uh, how our, our way of living, our society today. Also, the role of women has very much uh, evolved uh, in the system. This is something uh, just uh, to point that out that I am discussing with uh, with the IMF um, because uh, that aspect and the way women are perhaps uh, disadvantaged in our uh, tax system um, is something that is very important to me and I would like uh, to work on. Oh, that sounds really interesting. And and you did mention just to talk about the other sides of the taxation system. Of course, um, some single parents, divorced parents feel that they have significantly more tax to pay than married couples and suffer even more financially after divorce, which is already a difficult time. And then, of course, as you mentioned as well, single people, unmarried, have to pay more tax. So yes, given the society we live in today, it doesn't feel like an equitable system. Um, you've said that it would need to wait till the next government. Um, we don't know what that government uh, will look like right now. Um, but you've obviously had conversations internally. Do you have any feel for how long this will take? Because it sounds like it's a conversation that's ongoing. But when do you think it could take shape? <laughs> well, just to come back to your point uh, on, on single parents, because this is something that is uh, very, very important to me. Um, I'm very aware of, of the very difficult situations that arise out of divorce um, and uh, the difficulties uh, some uh, then divorced uh, couples. And again, it's mainly then uh, women who uh, get uh, the worst part of the deal but not always. Um, so this is something that's very close uh, to my heart and uh, in uh, the context of the uh, budget for uh, this year, we did uh, do an, a small but significant, I think, uh, overhaul of, uh, of the tax uh, credit for, uh, for single uh, parents, uh, really widening up uh, well, the, the maximum um, tax credit uh, that, can, uh, that people can have access to has been increased by more than a thousand euros uh, per year and the people having access to it uh, there uh, the salary has uh, we have increased it from uh, 35 uh, thousand to uh, 60 thousand uh, euros so we have a lot more people who will be able to profit from uh, this uh, this tax uh, credit so I just wanted to point that out because it's uh, something that I said from the beginning when I uh, took over this position it's something um, that I want to do uh, to help uh, these people who are in very vulnerable and difficult situations and we have done it uh, within uh, the budget now for, for this year. When can we have an overhaul of the tax system? I, Lisa, cannot put a date on that. I would love to. I can only say... Um, uh, 
it's something that I'm working on uh, now to see what can be done. Um, it's, of course, again, also, also linked how much fiscal space uh, do we have. But like I said, this is something quite fundamental. It will take time. It will maybe even uh, be longer than one legislature where a, a new system would be put in place with a transitional phase in between. So uh, this is something I feel the urgency. I'd like to work on it. And I hope I will have the chance uh, to work on that because it's fundamental for a country. Yes. And you mentioned that it will be impossible to get consensus really from all sides because there's so many differing points of view. But consensus is one of the jobs of a politician? <laughs> well, I think there is a large consensus that something needs to be done. Uh, will we agree on all, on all the details? No, I think that will take a lot of discussion um, uh, in Parliament uh, with the diff different political uh, parties. And uh, it's something that I would be uh, very willing uh, to take up just because it's so important. Well, of course, we're mentioning the election year and uh, Paulette Lennart, uh, she responded to our Prime Minister, current Prime Minister's New Year interview uh, that if there are any wage indexation changes, this should go hand in hand, she believes, with the tax reform to redistribute wealth from top to bottom. Have you any views on her comments? Well, redistributing wealth from, from top uh, to bottom, I think there are a lot of uh, ideas uh, that are circulating uh, now um, I sometimes wonder is this uh, is this more acute now just because like you said we are in the run-up uh, to elections uh, that uh, the rich uh, should be uh, should be taxed uh, more more highly that uh, then companies uh, should uh, be uh, taxed uh, more uh, highly these are ideas that are uh, being put uh, forward um, for me, uh, uh, and I have said this also in Parliament, if we're going to increase the tax uh, brackets uh, for for people and tax the rich more, um, this is not going to bring in enough money to have this uh, huge support for uh, for the lower income people. One does not pay uh, for the other just because in this high tax branch there are not uh, so many people. We have a very big uh, middle class. Um, and uh, it's not, uh, it's just simply not uh, so easy. These wonderful ideas of uh, increasing taxation uh, for, for companies, uh, I'm very skeptical uh, about this because in a crisis, uh, I think uh, increasing taxation is the wrong way uh, forward. Um, and we are living in a very competitive environment. So um, if you were a company and I was going to increase taxation, you're going to go to another country where Absolutely. taxation is not as high. So um, are we going to uh, win as a result of that? I don't think so. So what we do uh, need to do is to attract companies and we uh, addressed um, talent attraction. Um, part of that uh, is is also keeping, uh, keeping companies here and uh, making sure sure that in this uh, very uh, open uh, international multi-national uh, uh, cosmopolitan uh, um, work environment that we do have in Luxembourg that companies uh, feel good that uh, they are comfortable that they can find uh, the 
the people that they need to recruit and that they can work out of Luxembourg uh, and, and make a profit because it's only uh, by having companies, uh, well-established companies um, uh, who are not moving uh, to other countries uh, that are staying in Luxembourg that we will have people who can work, that we will have uh, companies pay good salaries uh, to people. So it's in the interest of the people that uh, we do everything to keep companies here. And uh, that's uh, very important to me. It's important for our economy. And in the end, it's the most important uh, for uh, the people. And it's for the people that uh, we are in politics. It's for the people uh, that we work. And, and for that, we need to have a competitive um, uh economic environment where where companies can work and where they can recruit people and where they can pay good salaries. Well, so that would be, uh, no, you don't agree with Paula Lennart just on that point there. Yes, very well put. Of course, we've underlined it, it is an election year. It's very difficult to get things done in an election year. How do you face that situation when you're trying, do, do have a sip of water? <laughs> um, you have to well, I can't even imagine what you have to do economically and what you have on your agenda in the coming months. And of course, we don't know what's going to happen in the environment around us. But how do you balance that with an election year wanting to get things done? I am not in election modus right now. Um, I We have so many challenges that our country is facing and I am really concentrating on what needs to be done, not what needs to be done uh, to satisfy uh, people in, in view of elections, because from a finance minister's point of view, that would simply not be responsible. I have to look long term. I'm not the only one who should be thinking long term. But as Minister of Finance, I definitely need to be uh, thinking uh, long term. We need to continue to have sustainable uh, public finances. Uh, so uh, what I'm doing and the decisions that I will be uh, taking or proposing uh, to the government uh, to take will be based on what I think is necessary for the country. And uh, yes, there will be there will be elections, and uh, uh, the elector will then have to have to uh, make his uh, make his decisions if the right uh, decisions uh, were taken. But uh, my view will always be beyond uh, this uh, October uh, rendezvous, electoral rendezvous uh, that we have. For me, the long term is what's important because I think in all the positions that I've had. But of course, also as Minister of Finance is what's in the interest of my country. And that's what I'll be focusing on. Long term views. I know we're running out of time because you've got a, a very tight agenda. So just as a, a wrap up, then you are a great advocate for women. It's been part of your remit, really very evident since uh, you've become a Minister of Finance and also sustainable finance is another passion of yours. So if you were to give any advice to women that I know you mentor as well, just by your example, in fact, what would it be? What kind of female society do you want to engender? I think, um, yes, I, I'm a big advocate for women being in the workplace, really also daring to do uh, things that they might not necessarily do uh, naturally. Um, so uh, I'm trying to really support that as much as possible. And I've really try to do that in every every position uh, that uh, that I have uh, been able to uh, to exercise uh, young women and girls come and ask me very often what should I st 
study, to do this or to do that. My advice there is, is always study what you're passionate about because that's, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't study something that you think will be useful for a certain type of job because I think the most important thing is that you get your degrees. Uh, of course, for doctors, you need to, it, it's a different thing, but let's, let's say whether it's in, in politics or diplomacy, the degree that you finally have, I think, is is less important than than really your passion towards uh, towards something. So yes, study what you're passionate uh, about, and uh, we we very often see also when we're uh, recruiting that uh, women are a bit more hesitant. Uh, men can sell you anything, um, you know, if you have a tenth. 10 boxes to check on uh, what uh, the qualities uh, and qualifications that you need for a job, a uh, certain uh, job, even though men might only fulfill half of them, you know, they will advocate and say, you know, I'm the perfect person for you. A woman, very often, uh, these are generalizations, I don't like generalizations that much, but this is generally uh, true. Women will say, well, you know, but I'm, I don't uh, qualify because of these three points. So what? You know, you, you'll be good. Other things you can learn. Uh, just go for it. Um, you will find your way, I think, in, in the society or also when you're looking at companies. The more diversity you have in a company, um, the better the decisions that come out will be. Diversity is not only about uh, gender equality and gender balance, but it also is that. So for me... Um, the best way uh, to uh, for our society to be run is uh, that at all levels, be it in politics, be it uh, in companies, that we really have the necessary uh, diversity. Um, it's better for decision making and uh, gender balance and gender equality is a big part of that. And my final question then is you were raised in a Japanese society where the role of women is not the example that you have shown us. So who were your mentors? How come you have become this very strong female leader? Well, I think uh, you have many. Uh, I, di I didn't have a, a particular mentor, but I have uh, women um, in my uh, immediate entourage, also in the political entourage, that uh, I very, uh, very much uh, respect. I think in international politics, you do uh, see women uh, that have come very far, that have stood up for uh, for their uh, beliefs. Uh, they were criticized uh, uh, for that. Of often women are, um, you know, very um, e easy, easy, more easy perhaps attackable uh, than men I find uh, this uh, this very um, this bothers me uh, a lot but um, we have many uh, wonderful female figures out there also in, in Luxembourg politics uh, in uh, in my party in the Democratic Party we also have uh, uh, fantastic uh, women uh, Colette Flesch Lili Polfa um, just to give uh, two examples and Brasso fantastic women who also in Luxembourg have been able to uh, to change a lot and to be uh, role models but uh, beyond that also on the international scene many women um, as finance ministers also I think we have a particular uh, role and I'm very happy that also there uh, you see more and more uh, women because uh, in terms of finances in terms of sustainable finances and like we said also for tax reform 
it's important to have this diversity also in the position uh, of uh, of the finance ministers and within the EU. Uh, I think we have eight or nine female finance ministers now, so this is a big improvement in the world. On the larger scale, uh, there's a long way to go, but I think slowly we're getting there. And in the end, I think when we don't uh, have to say, well, here is somebody and uh, it's a woman in this job when this is no longer an issue because uh, there will be just as many uh, women as men uh, leading companies, uh, leading uh, leading banks uh, or leading finance uh, ministries. Uh, that's when we will have gotten to where we want to be. Minister Backus, thank you so much for your time and good luck with everything else you have on your agenda today and for the new year to come. Thank you, Lisa. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Mm-hmm.